On this episode of the Other Bundesliga podcast, we've got Sturm staying solid, Salzburg turning on the style, and Rapid with a second route in the space of just four days. Hello and welcome to another weekly episode of the Other Bundesliga podcast. We have by now witnessed match day four of the Austrian Bundesliga season. Every Bundesliga team has at least a point for their troubles and some teams have been extremely tight at the back. Here to discuss it all on this week's pod, it's me, Tom Midler, and I'm joined by Lee Wingate. We'll hear from Simon Clark a bit later too, as he witnessed a Euro thriller last week in Vienna, but we'll start with the Bundesliga instead. The teams in the W column at the weekend were as follows. Sturm won 1-0 away in Lustenau to take Saturday's sole victory. Rapid thrashed Blau-Weiss 5-0 on Sunday. And Salzburg also hit Hartberg for 5 on Sunday. Those are the literal winners, the teams in the W column. Lee, who gets your nod for the first pick of the weekend from those winners? Well, perhaps it's slightly predictable to start with Salzburg, but as they are the league leaders, number one seems like a a logical place to start. And I think that beyond anything that happened on the pitch, one of the things that really caught my eye this week is that they fielded the youngest starting eleven in Bundesliga history at the age of 21 years and 40 days. Uh, We often talk about Salzburg and their focus on youth and constantly bringing through young players. And we sometimes joke that the next gen are going to come through in diapers. Or nappies, I should say. But this is uh, this is really American leader. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Taking over, <laughs> took took over there. Um, but twenty one years and forty days is really quite something. Yeah, what was funny about that is actually that Hartberg fielded their youngest team ever as well. Did you see that? It was twenty three years and two hundred and something days, so it was a a little chunk older than Salzburg. But what a what a young matchup that was a young head-to-head in Hartberg and uh, Salzburg came out on top of it with a 5-1 win and the usual suspects doing the job Salzburg I know we say this all the time because we say it every season we're like oh will they replace their players oh who will be the new crop coming through and I know it's only four match days in but 12 points from four games 12 goals scored that's twice as many as Sturm Graz, their nearest competitors. One goal conceded, that was the one in the 5-1 against Hartberg. So already, uh, they do seem to have really clicked with Gerhard Struber, don't they? And they've got a massive injury list at the moment, by the way, too. They're, they're missing players all over the pitch. And I thought Uma Soleil was one of the best players early on in the season. Well, still early on, but you know, very early in the season. Soleil was a, a shining light and he's going to be out for a little while. They've basically made a mockery of their injury list and there's new players coming through everywhere. The stars of this season, Karim Konate, continuing to score. Amadedic with the captain's armband. He must be about, what, 15 at this point. Um, <laughs> Amadedic having a brilliant performance with two lovely goals. It was like a gala display, wasn't it? Mm. A beautiful goal on the right foot and then a beautiful run for a goal on the left foot. Also got an assist for Oscar Gloch, who finished with a a lovely curler into the bottom corner as well it's like I can't find any bad spots with this Salzburg team right now and it's just a little bit strange because we really thought that oh is Struber going to be up to the task kind of I'm I'm not saying we really were Mm. were questioning him like that but or or, or doubting him necessarily but we you did wonder there was that issue like is is it going to be 
as easy for them this season? Are the young players going to come through? And by by four match games, uh, four match days in, I think they <laughs> they've gone a long way to answering some of those questions, haven't they? Rather ominously. Uh, yeah, that's all true. Um, wouldn't doubt any of that. But I do think that there has been uh, one weak spot identified, or at least one sort of little blot on their copybook, and that would be the goal they conceded because that was proper route one football. Uh, the goal scored by Maximilian Entrup to make it one one. It was just a long hoof downfield and I think they play such a high line sometimes Salzburg. They're they're so dominant and they're playing um, on the front foot so much that they kind of sometimes just don't expect things like that to happen and uh, it was a bit of an obvious one. I think Gerhard Struber will be a bit disappointed that that was the way that the first goal of the season is conceded. Obviously it doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things but, but nonetheless it was a bit, bit route one wasn't it? It very much was, just as you say, a long hoof downfield. It was a defensive clearing action from Jürgen Heil, I think. And Entrup, definitely in my good column this week, again, not for the first time this season, Entrup uh, still had a lot to do. It was one of those that when you see it, it kind of looks easy because there was a long ball just booted into his path. But still, if you pick up a high bouncing ball on the halfway line, and the Salzburg defence chasing you down. You don't have much room to sort of stay ahead of everyone and actually make the finish as well. So he did that really, really well, took it really, really well. Entrip looks like he really could be onto something. He scored three in his first four for Hartberg, which no other Hartberg player has ever managed. Mm. So a very impressive start to the season for Entrip. Um, you could see, you know Hartberg have lost a few times in the last five years to Salzburg heavily mm-hmm. it's happened before and I could see Marcus Schopp was determined for that not to happen this time when they scored the equaliser one all right at the end of the first half there was a huge celebration in Hartberg Shop was loving it the players were loving it it was like yes finally we can sink our teeth into Salzburg and cause them trouble like some of the other teams maybe traditional bottom six teams managed to do uh, on, on relatively frequent occasions um but that all went completely out the window very, very quickly when the second half restarted, didn't it? Yeah, and as you say, Amar Dedic was just fantastic. He's one of those players that's really stepped up this season. It was a real captain's performance. As you say, he's still such a young guy, but he was so commanding on Sunday. Um, goals with his right foot, goal with his left foot. The commentator said on the Sky Highlights, isn't it such a shame that he's chosen to play for Bosnia over Austria? And when you watch a performance like that, you can't help but agree. Yeah, I thought from the Austria perspective, he should have added because I thought there were probably quite a lot of Bosnians watching the highlights being like, no, (laughs) why is this a shame? This is brilliant. Um, But yeah, it's true. And he's not the first sort of born in Austria player. Obviously, it's completely up to them where they feel their allegiance lies internationally. But yeah, of course, you would want Amar Dedic coming through in the Austrian national team for sure. Could definitely be somebody who's going to go on and have a a good international career. But Konate got the goal when the goalkeeper's back pass was intercepted. Dedic then chipped in the more Koita came on at the end and got one as well mm. to make it five um a really five-star display to use that cliche of, of a team who hit five goals wasn't it mm. yeah absolutely I think as you say every season we have some sort of and I know we're not supposed to say this as neutrals but some sort of glimmer of hope that they may not be able to replace the outgoing players that we will see a title race it's hard to see too many gaps in their um you know sort of too many chinks in their armor at the moment I think they are looking like uh they will regain, what would it be now? I've lost count. Is it 12? 11 in a row? 12 in a row? I've lost count yeah. as well, Lee. It, it, the, the, the run began before we even started the podcast. Maybe even before we moved to Austria, most of us. So Yeah, it was <laughs> 2014, that first one. So that's, that's 11, isn't it? I think coming up this year. Yeah, I think it was it was 10 last year, wasn't it? Yeah. So this would be, um, uh, yeah, that would be every Bundesliga title since I've been in Austria. And, and you too as well, I yeah. guess. Yeah. Um, 
I think, as I alluded to earlier, it's just the kind of juxtaposition of this year. We really thought, wow, they don't have the same kind of stars as usual. Um, the new coach, it's all a bit unplanned. It's all a bit scary. And then to see them this good this early on is quite something. They're definitely comfortably in the W column for this week. Sturm joined them, though, and they needed it as well. A 1-0 win away in Lustenau. It wasn't the most uh, accomplished of victories that they'll ever have, but um, I would contest that it was quite an important one. Definitely, and as you alluded to, they may have only scored half the number of goals as Salzburg have, but I believe they have yet to concede this season. Clearly, you know, defence is where their focal point lies, and they managed to get the goal. I think, I mean, there were a few opportunities, weren't there, before uh, Gregory Vutrich scored. Um, I was wondering... You know, initially is is that offside, but of course the ball comes off of one of the Austria Lustenau defenders and he's able to just slot that home at the back post. And I think that it's games like this where they know that they just need to, if they're not going to score as many goals, they just need to be solid and see it out if they want to stay on Salzburg's tails and they manage that. They did indeed, a 1-0 away win. Yeah, that's what you can do, isn't it? When you've got Kjell Scherpen in goal, or, you know, it's not just him. Obviously, they've been very solid in the past few years defensively, but he's got a lovely Bundesliga record now, having come in and kept a clean sheet on each of his first four Bundesliga appearances. Um, I think only one other goalkeeper has ever managed that. And that was in the 90s. So uh, Who was it? Oh, I can't remember the name. I can't remember the name. Um, but it was a goalkeeper in the 90s. So still, that's a 25-year-old or 26-year-old record that he's broken there with four clean sheets in a row. Alexander Schlager at Salzburg almost did it, but he's conceded that one. Mm. Um, still, Scheppen, four clean sheets. Sturm, two points behind after their one nil nil draw so far this season. But it's good to know, isn't it, that, as you say, you can rely on just that one goal. And that can bank you three points somehow in a tight game like that. Uh, Lustenau had a couple of half chances, but to be fair, this was Sturm's game. Vladacic actually had a goal ruled out as well. Um, still, it's it's living a little dangerously, isn't it? You do feel that a team like Lustenau could could have nicked a goal and and grabbed a grabbed a draw somehow. Yeah, especially. I mean, they did have a very good uh, season in the Bundesliga on their debut campaign last year. Um, the Debutants this year, the newly promoted side, are, are, firing, are faring far less well. And I, I would expect that we might, for the first time in a while, have a disappointing uh, campaign for a promoted team. But yeah, Austria Lustenau are very capable and uh, Sturmgratz will surely be happy with a win in what is probably the biggest or one of the biggest away days in the Bundesliga. In terms of travel distance? Yeah, I think one of... I think the yeah. Vienna clubs would be would be further, wouldn't it? Yeah, As they the crow flies, but... Still, it's a long way, isn't mm. it, from Graz to, to Lustenau. Probably not the easiest of journeys. So the positive for Sturm is that they took three more points. The negative is that their new striker, the pacey C.D. Yatta, who was signed from Valerenga, we uh, snuck that into last week's pod because it happened just in time. But he came on for his debut and uh, went off after just six minutes, unfortunately. It looks like a rib injury just got clattered in a you know reasonably hard challenge, but also a kind of innocuous, normal challenge as well. Um, but yeah, lasted only six minutes. That's a bit of a blow for Sturm, especially as they're not exactly firing uh, on all cylinders in terms of scoring goals yet this season. Yeah, do we know what the prognosis is for the return? No, but I would imagine if it's a, a rib injury, mm. potentially a rib break or fracture or something, hopefully it's nothing like that. But um, it's going to be a couple of weeks, isn't it? But they managed the first few weeks of the season without him, so... You know, hopefully it's a speedy recovery for him and uh, he'll be back soon. But Sturm in the win column, 
Joining them there this week were Rapid, and you mentioned that Blau Weiss Linz, the Bundesliga debutants this season, or the newcomers to the Bundesliga this season at least, uh, might be uh, adjusting expectations downwards, I suppose, compared to to previous promoted sides in the last few years, and uh, that only that theory uh, only uh, got boosted this week, I suppose, with a five nil win for Rapid away in Linz. Yeah, and I'm sure we'll focus on Rapid a little bit in a minute. And of course, they've had a great week, haven't they, with the the win over Debrecen of Hungary as well. But just to look at Blauweiss Linz a little bit here, I thought they looked so far off the pace. I thought they looked a bit sluggish. They weren't closing down quickly. Rapid sort of just linked up nicely, but straight through them. And then you had, I think, a number of individual errors from the, the Blauweiss Linz backline, which contributed to, to the first goals um they are still winless aren't they you said that every club in the Bundesliga has at least a point on the board so far but Blauweiss Linz do only have one they're yet to win and it is hard to see how they I mean it's so early isn't it it's very easy to say this but it's hard to see given the other the quality of the other teams in the league how they how they are going to do well this season I think and of course we know from the split that if you have a good run after the split after match day 22 it doesn't really matter as much if you go in at that point perhaps six or seven points behind because it's it's then halved and you can catch up but I don't know I don't know Tom they're not filling me with optimism at the moment I know what you mean I do think it's going to take them some time to adjust um they triumphed in a pretty crazy Liga Svar promotion race at the end of last season. So they've got a bit of character in that team. What they don't have is Bundesliga experience. And what they also don't have is Matthias Seidel, Liga Svar player of the year, now playing for Rapid, and Fali Mayulu, who was a, a really useful source of goals for Blauweiss-Linz last season, also now playing for Rapid. So this was, of course, the game where those two met their former club. And of course, it would be... Uh, you know, the narratives of football wouldn't be complete, would they, unless both players made an impact. And I have to say, on Rapid's side, I know we've looked at Guido Burgstaller for a long time as their as their main goal scorer and, and you know, their, their standout performer. And there's, there's a few other uh, sort of bright flashes in there. But this season, you've got a lot of their young players starting to really flourish too, which is nice. And I know uh, we've been a bit negative about Rapid because of the uh, loss against Hartberg last weekend, for example. But wow, they've bounced back from that in some style with two 5-0 wins in four days. And what has been a, a key, I think, for me throughout watching Rapid this season is the fact that Matthias Seidel, former Blau man, Matthias Seidel, he looks so, so good, I think. Even when he doesn't score, even when he doesn't get assists, obviously those things make you stand out. But you know, we'll, we'll try and look beyond that as well. And I think Matthias Seidel just really, really looks like a great player to me. I can so see why he's won uh, Liga Svar Player of the, the Year last year, even though I didn't see that much of him last year. And you thought, okay, that's interesting. But now you see him in the Bundesliga. Man, he looks so comfortable. And it was his pass down to the right wing. He got the hockey assist, as it were, the sort of second assist. Um, played in uh, Moritz Oswald on the right flank. Oswald's cross was headed home by Burgstaller. Again, very, very easy to mm. win that aerial battle, which is a bit unfortunate. Oswald then played in Burgstaller a few minutes later for another very simple pass through the defence and Burgstaller slotted at home. But I thought Seidel looked very, very good. And Fali Mayulu hasn't got up to speed at Rapid in the same, uh, with the same quickness that 
side were managed. So it was fitting, of course, that Mayuli came on for the second half or, or later stages of the second half against Blauweiss, got the assist for Ante Bayec's fourth goal. And then the uh, fifth one, Ante Bayec won the penalty, which Mayulu stuck away. So he got his first ever Bundesliga goal against his former club, you do feel a bit sorry for uh, Blauweiss-Linz in that situation. You know, this direct transfer of power, you know, they've, mm. they've directly weakened themselves and strengthened the team that they played against on the weekend. So it's, it's a tough one, but it was somehow fitting and you sort of knew it was going to happen that Mayulu would get his first, his first goal in that game. It's sort of Rapid's business model, isn't it, now that they, they've done this for a few seasons, whereas you have Salzburg who are plucking these talents from far and wide with this uh, vast scouting network they have. Rapid have generally tended to do what I call the Bayern Munich to Borussia Dortmund circa 2013 (laughs) to 18. They have looked to uh, take the best players from their domestic rivals. And it's a policy that I would say has had mixed fortunes so far. Some really good players, but not all that many. And these two look like especially Seidel, look like they might have hit the jackpot a little bit with, with, with these transfers. And, you know, a young team, an exciting team, a team that has scored now five goals in two consecutive competitive games for the first time in eight years. There is, it is some bouncing back from the Hartberg defeat. It is. I wonder now, talking about that, if somebody like Matthias Seidel could be this sort of long-awaited player, and not that we're desperate to see players leave, and not that Rapid are desperate to see good players leave either, but if you look at Salzburg, you look at Sturm, you look at Lask, they've all now, more regularly as well, brought in players at low low value, and then they've been able to sell those players, of course, for, for you know maybe five to ten times those amounts, or more in Salzburg's case quite often. And then they can reinvest in players for two, three, four million. And when you're looking at that sort of level of money, there's actually quite a wide window. You know, you can be quite choosy. And if you're clever with that, you can get a very good young player to come in with a lot of promise, a lot of experience, a lot of ability um, at, at that level. And, and Rapid, that's the one sort of big thing that's been missing. They've not managed to make that in their business model yet. And that's why they're lagging behind, you know, to some extent. If you can bring in... 10, 12, 15 million a year, maybe maybe twice with, with players that you sell, you know, your financial outlook looks so, so different. And you do wonder if, if a player like Matthias Seidel, you know, somebody who you can be bringing in on, on that free transfer, the classic rapid free transfer or getting people very, very cheap at least, if those, you know, if, if Seidel did go for like 10 million in a year's time. To Salzburg. Yeah, I suppose <laughs> to Salzburg, but it, that doesn't seem to be their their style, does it really? But you know, could he be that one? I wonder. That's my question. Um, there are a few lining up for it at the moment. Sattelberg has come in. Uh, he's been a bit of a breakthrough player this season. Oswald had a great day against Blauweiss-Linz, but he's been pushing his way into that team and doing well. Querfeld scored as well. The other goal that we didn't mention. Um, so yeah, Rapid's youngsters starting to to bear a bit of fruit. So there is some hope in there for them. Um, and these two five nil wins do seem to sort of turn around some of the negativity that was was threatening to to bloom at the beginning of the season and now they've got this insane game against Fiorentina uh, mm. later in this week we'll uh, talk about that a little bit in our mini European section at the end of this pod we'll move on into the Bundesliga for now and uh, no more winners to talk about but there was a draw between VSK Tirol and Lask and I bring that up next because VSK have to be in the W column for me not just because they start with a W, but um, because they picked up their first point of the season in that game against Lask. And I'm sure not too many people would have fancied them to get a point, although it was at home against Lask. 
Yeah, I don't know if this is just one of those things I have in my head and actually has no basis in fact, but don't VSK Tirol tend to do all right against Lask? Is that a thing? I'm remembering some like 4-2 wins. I think they've they've ended some decent runs of Lask in the last three or four seasons across that. I'm sure Lask probably have the, the more positive record over those games. But yeah, I do definitely remember some, some times that VSK have caused Lask trouble. That's That's for sure. Yeah, and this uh, the opening goal, I mean, Filip Stojkovic, bit of a catastrophic misplaced pass, uh, you know, straightforward in his own half. Nice finish by um, Nick Prelitz. Um, we like to talk on this podcast, don't we, about winners and losers, and you have to point to Elias Havel, uh, who scored Lask's equaliser. His Bundesliga debut, he's on the pitch for 23 seconds, scores with his first touch, doesn't get much better than that, and it was some finish as well. Yeah, lashed at home on the bounce. It was another, uh, both goals in that game came from bad passes. Mm -hmm. Uh, Felix Bacher, the VSK defender, was a little more unlucky. Uh, He didn't just misplace his back pass. It took a massive bobble. His backer pass. (laughs) Yeah, nice. Um, Before he got it back to the keeper, it took a huge bobble and he was on the flank, got it across towards the goalkeeper in the middle. And instead of playing it crisply along the ground, it just sort of floated up into the penalty area and bounced up nicely for the onrushing Elias Havel, who, as you mentioned, was 23 seconds into his Bundesliga debut and must have been absolutely delighted to be presented with a chance like that so quickly after coming on. And yeah, his very first Bundesliga touch was smashing the loose ball home for 1-1. Lask then went for the winner, but they couldn't get it. So still, you'd have to say it's a disappointing result for Thomas Saida and Lask and probably a point gained for, for a struggling VSK team. Yeah, I think I think so. Um, when we look every season at who could possibly challenge Salzburg, it's results like this that show you that really a lot of the other so-called bigger teams can't. Like you can't you can't have any real title aspirations. Not that we would expect last two necessarily right now, but you can't really have title aspirations when you drop drop points like this, can you? Really? Like it's just Sturmgratz that are, are the realistic challenges. That is true, um, Manfred. Fischer must be laughing right now, remember, because the Austria-Vienna captain said of, of Lask's many signings this summer, he was like, oh, it looks like they're gearing up to win the title mm. uh, as, a, as a kind of insult to Lask. But they do not look like they're gearing up to win the title. They are looking a bit shaky and I'm not sure how I fancy their chances heading into their game against Zygniewski Mostar. Mm. But again, a little bit more on that later. To stick with the Bundesliga, there are two teams who... There are two teams who I'd say are kind of low-key unbeaten right now. And that's because in four games, they've got one win apiece and three draws apiece. Mm. Um, those teams are Austria Klagenfurt and VRC. Uh, let's start with Austria Klagenfurt. They got a 1-1 draw against Altac on Saturday. And uh, Peter Packel was not happy after that one. I mean, why is he not happy, to be honest? Because... I would presume it's about the equaliser, the fact that Gustavo Santos <laughs> manages to outjump Nicolas Wimmer, you know, to make it 1-1. But, you know, Altac were knocking on the door. You had a couple of goals that were correctly ruled out from uh, Nuhu. Um, I'm not sure why he's, why he's wound up. Is it just because he's usually wound up? That is his default <laughs> setting, isn't it? I think he just fancied three points, Lee, against, mm. against Altac. I think he eyed up that fixture as a a good chance to get a second win of the season and they didn't manage it. It was a late equaliser, 84th minute from Gustavo Santos, formerly known as Balotelli, who headed that one in. Um, Yeah, I think it was that more than any sort of outstanding uh, injustice in the game. But on the positive side of things for Austria Klagenfurt, 
Sinan Carvina scored. Uh, Simon Straudi got that one set up with his ball into the box. He's been really good this season, Straudi. But even better has been the link-up between Carvina and Andy Irving. And once again, it was Irving to the rescue when Carvina sort of lost control in the box. Andy Irving came straight in, won it back, poked the ball free, and it fell back for Carvina to, to put it in the bottom corner. And I think they've assisted each other now for three goals this season. And I think they've also been involved... One of the two of them, at least, has been involved in five of Klagenfurt's six goals this season. So you've got some standout performers right there. I knew you'd find a mention for Irving, your shameless pro-Scottish bias <laughs> shining through. But yeah, those two are linking up nicely. Uh, I think, I, I don't know, I think I might have heard it as being four goals that they've linked up for uh, this season even. Um, yeah, I mean, it's nice to see, isn't it? Like a British player who's... I'm sorry, I've claimed him for the British Isles there. A Scottish player who's come over and um, and done so well. He really is fitting in nicely to that side. Yeah, very much so. So they're still unbeaten. Um, as I said, Packle not particularly happy, but you've got to take it. One win and three draws, I know. I think there's a feeling that it could be a bit better for them. They've uh, perhaps been disappointed with a couple of the draws that they've got. Uh, would it be fair to say that now that Didi Kubauer is not in the league, that Peter Packel is the angriest coach in the division. If we were to the angry rankings, he probably <laughs> would be, wouldn't he? I, th- I would say in terms of coaches who I'd least want to meet when they've just suffered a bad result or, mm. or some kind of refereeing injustice or a VAR call or whatever, he'd be very, very high mm. on the list of managers that I wouldn't fancy having a chat with just after that. Um, it's funny because all the players that I've spoken to and obviously Klagenfurt have done very well in recent years. So we've ended up mm. being asked to interview their players quite frequently, like different players who've done well at different times, including Andy Irving, of course. Everybody's just mentioned how good it is to work for Peter Packold. Mm. And it's sort of, in my imagination, I think, oh man, he must, be, he must be really scary. But apparently everyone loves working for him. Although they do also mention that he's a, you know, he, he trains the players and works the players very, very hard. Maybe there's sort of two sides to that coin, I guess. Those managers that you wouldn't want to meet after a bad result. How about we flip that round? Who would you most like to have a beer with in the uh, in the Bundesliga of Ooh, all the coaches? That's a good question. Um, who would I most like to have a beer with? From I'm just sort of flicking through the coaches in my head now. I mean, Marcus Shops, he'd be a sound guy to have a pint with, wouldn't he? Yeah, and he's got some good stories from his playing days as well. I reckon Shop yeah. could be right up there. Yeah. That's that's a great shout. I think. Um, who else? I mean, I would like to, to sit down and have a pint with Christian Ilzer. Mm-hmm. No problem. I, I get to think he probably doesn't drink pints though, does he? I think I think Shop would order a good a good hearty pint. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure Christian Ilzer would. I think he'd be like, hand me hand me a protein shake and uh-huh. let's let's focus on on the task in hand. You know, yeah. he's quite down to business, isn't he? Yeah, maybe. maybe I, I mm. make this a, a pure guess, so mm. I have no idea. But um, yeah, I think. I think your Marcus Chopshout could be a very good one there. Um, the other low-key unbeaten team that I mentioned, VRC. Mm. Um, I don't think we really saw this coming at the beginning of the season. They've been known for sort of slow starts in recent seasons as well. And I mean, it's not a lightning start, is it, to have, uh, what, six points after four games? But still, it's not bad. Three draws, one win, another draw, this time nil-nil against Austria-Vienna away. It's not a bad result. No, and I think they were quite catastrophic in the first part of last season, especially their defence, which was very, very leaky. Um, so, yeah, I think they'll definitely take that. This was obviously also Manfred Schmidt's first time back at Austria Vienna since he left. Um, so I'm sure he'll have, you know, wanted to come away with a, at the very least a point. Um, the talking point for me in this game was that the challenge by Silva Kangani on Scott Kennedy 
because it was it wasn't the highest of feet, but the studs were up and there was a clear mark. And I think you look at those kind of challenges and it's about the sort of the weight bearing leg, because if the full weight is on a leg and then you strike the knee with like an open sole, that can be very dangerous. In this case, it was a yellow card. I don't know what you thought about that, but I thought you got away with it a bit. They even VAR'd it, didn't they? Mm. And it still came back as a yellow. Oh, I'm not sure what I thought about that one. I think had that been a red and they VAR'd it, I don't think they would have overturned it. No way. Mm. Um, Yeah, I guess that's probably what's happened in this case, that because the yellow was the initial award, they didn't find enough sort of evidence on the video replay to to upgrade it. But it must have been very, very close to to breaking that threshold. As you say, studs up. I don't think he was... It's certainly not intentional. I don't think he was being intentionally dangerous, but it was certainly reckless to come in for that. Obviously, he's watching for the aerial ball coming down and he wasn't looking at the player. Maybe that's a mitigating factor, but still, mm. when you have your foot high and your studs up and you catch the player like on the sort of the thigh or the knee like that, yeah, can be can be very very bad. So I was a bit surprised, I have to say, that he stayed on the pitch, mm. um, but he did. Uh, I thought Hendrik Bonman, Hendrik Bonman's done really well in the VAT goal. He's been somebody who we've picked out. I guess if we've got our, our win and and lose column uh, for who's had a good week and who's had a bad week. Bondman would have been in the sort of the bad week column quite a few times last season, but he's been really, really good this season. And and this was a, a game that exemplified that, made a couple of good stops, probably none better than a, a double save against Muharim Huskovic, who was uh, sort of left in a bit of space after a bit of a goal mouth scramble. The ball just sort of pinged his way in the box. Everyone thought he was offside. He wasn't. Bondman made the double save, preserved the point, and VSA could have nicked it at the end. Yasic came forward and smashed the ball against the post, and then Sabitzer with a follow-up header that uh, was unfortunately off target from VSA's perspective. That left it at nil-nil. And uh, that rounds up match week four, Anything else or anyone else that you thought was in a, a kind of good or bad column? Anyone else who stood out for you this week for, for good or bad reasons? Um, no, not really. I was just looking up Hendrik Bonman because I thought that that name sounded familiar. And it, it, he is indeed a former Borussia Dortmund goalkeeper. I, th- I thought he was. Um, I would have to say that the, the nicest feel-good story for me of the week was the one we mentioned with Elias Havel. Really. You could see on his face what it meant to him. You can imagine the family dinner that evening to celebrate. Uh, the goal on his on his Bundesliga debut. Um, I think he he wins the award, but we've already already covered him. Yeah, fair enough. Not the best result of the week for Lask, but all right. Elias Havel is the the player of the week, the pick of the week. We'll round things up there for match day four in the Austrian Bundesliga. After a quick bit of music and a little break, we'll come back to round up the European action from last week and look ahead to the European games next week. Welcome back to part two of this week's other Bundesliga podcast. We don't have a massive European section for you on this week's pod, but there were a few games to round up and there's a few exciting games to look forward to as well. I think, firstly, let's hand over to Simon Clark, who was at uh, Austria-Vienna against Legia Warsaw second leg. That turned into a real thriller. I had the privilege of being at the Generali Arena on Thursday night for one of the most dramatic games I've ever seen personally. And I think in the history of this podcast, one of the most dramatic games we will ever see. Over the last five years, since we started covering Austrian football on this podcast, we have seldom seen a European tie with more twists and turns, more drama, more late action, more atmosphere, more just complete madness than this game between Austria-Vienna and Legia Warsaw. 
And how did it begin? Well, Austria-Vienna had gone into the game with a 2-1 win from the first leg. A shock result, really, uh, for some observers. But Austria-Vienna and, and Michael Wimmer looked like they were ready to take their place in the Europa Conference League playoff round. However, Legia Warsaw came out, <laughs> came out with reckless abandon, really, and they blew away Austria-Vienna with a three-goal lead after 60 minutes and Austria-Vienna with a mountain to climb, a two-goal mountain to climb to even scrape extra time. And truth be told, it could have been four or five or six. Legia Warsaw were far, far be the better team and really the atmosphere around the, the stadium in Favriten was not a party atmosphere, let's say that. However, one man had different ideas and that was Andy Gruber. Andy Gruber came and he scored twice, including a goal with only eight minutes to go to make sure that we had a grandstand finish. And there was scenes around the Generali Arena when that equaliser on an aggregate went in. However, Legia Warsaw went down the other end and with three minutes to go, scored what they thought was a late winner. However, when the fourth official put up a 10 minutes of injury time, I don't think anyone could have uh, foresaw what happened. So, Reini Raftel, sixth minute of injury time, slots home. And to say it was among the biggest celebrations I've ever seen in Austrian football is putting it, you know, putting it mildly, because it was a wild scene around the stadium as Austria Vienna thought they'd done the impossible for a second time and clawed extra time. Just before that, Alexander Jukic had been sent off for a, for a headbutt, um, a pretty stupid move, clear as day, but it made the Austria-Vienna battle and Rampdahl's equaliser even more special that it was with 10 men. However, that man advantage was crucial as we've won the last kicks of the match, Legia Warsaw in the 10th minute of injury time, slotted home to the absolute <laughs> to the, the insane celebrations of the incredible Legia Warsaw fans behind the goal and the substitutes bench and heartbreak for those of a viola persuasion in Vienna. But true, I mean, looking back on the game, it's now been three or four days since then. And, you know, you can't be conceding five goals in a European game and expect to qualify. Uh, Michael Wimmer's side really failed to show up for the first 60 minutes, but once they did show up, it really showed the, the talent and the fight that this team has. So there are positives and negatives to take away from this most incredible of European ties. But for Austria-Vienna, the fact they came back twice, it'll be a rather bittersweet moment for the club. Uh, after being in the Conference League group stages last season, and flattering to deceive really, it's a shame that they won't be in the group stages again this season. But uh, a remarkable night, two magical moments that I'm sure fans of Austria-Vienna won't forget but it's unfortunate that we're not talking about an incredible moment, but a heartbreaking loss. Yeah, I mean, that's some game, isn't it? Um, kind of regretted that I didn't go along now, because it's just down the road after all. Um, you cannot concede five goals at home in a European tie and expect to go through. And I feel that they'll be kicking themselves a little bit, given the good work they did in Poland in the first leg, ultimately not to have gone through now. Yeah, an eight-goal thriller, losing at the very, very end like that. It's uh, it's a bitter one. And the most disappointing thing about it for me is probably that when I did the podcast with Anna Konovalova a couple of weeks ago, we thought this is probably the highest hurdle for them. You never know. And, you know, you can't really back Austria-Vienna necessarily to be really consistent and, and solid in Europe at the moment. But you had that feeling that if they got past Legia Warsaw, they could get into the group stages then. 
that's it's quite a lot of money. I think it's close to three million euros for getting into the group stages. And then you're talking about that brilliant thing for all of the Austrian clubs where it's like every point comes with like a hundred thousand, a hundred and fifty thousand euros or more. You know It's more, I think. In the Europa League at least it's two hundred and ten thousand. In the conference league, I think it's hundred and sixty six thousand. Yeah. So it's you know, that's half a million if you get three points. Yeah, it's it's really, really big money. You know, the T V deal here is still it's a few million per year per team. So to be earning money like that, it's it is kind of it's not club defining and club changing like if you get to the sort of semi-finals and you're picking up like twenty million, but it is season defining. It makes a massive difference for next year. It makes a massive difference for attracting players, um, and it just eases the situation at a club like Austria Vienna. Yeah, I think that's the point, isn't it? Given like whenever I think of Austria Vienna now, I think a history, b don't get a license at the first instance. Those are like. You know, that's a defining feature of them in recent years. And I think more than perhaps any other club gunning for Europe this season, that money would have benefited them. Yeah, and even in the qualifying rounds as well, to be fair. I mean, they've earned 550k, so they've got half a mil from the qualifying rounds so far and getting, you know, qualifying for Europe in the first place, getting through the round that they got through. But that would have upped to 750k had they got through. And then another three mil, as I said, if they if they get through from there. And yeah, you just feel like it's a chance that sort of slipped away for them financially. And especially with the the hope of them winning, going away to Poland and winning, we thought that looked like a really tough task. And then to do that, and then, as you say, concede five at home. Yeah, rough way for them to go out. And also there's the factor which they really should have taken into consideration of our own personal inconvenience. It would have been really nice <laughs> to have two Viennese teams, you know, just a, a stone's throw away that we could have gone to see on a Thursday evening. They've done us over here. Yeah, we'll have to travel to go and see our football now. Mm. Our, wo, wo, you know, what's the? you can't say woe is us, but you know. Woe betide us, maybe? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I'll, I'll go with woe is us. I'll invent mm. the phrase woe is us here on the other Bundesliga okay. podcast. We might have to go to, to Linz or Salzburg for, for European football, but you know, or, or Graz, of course. Mm. We're, we're very much looking forward to those things, really. This is, this is all uh, very much a joke. But mm, of yes. course, it is lovely to have uh, Europa League or Conference League football in the city where you live. So uh, I feel like we're, we're already ruling out a rapid victory then against Fiorentina because if we said Austria Vienna perhaps had the uh, an easier task in store ahead of them uh, Rapid had it the other way around they had to get past Debrecen of Hungary they drew nil nil at home which was part of the doom and gloom of Rapid last week but then they turned that around with a, a lovely 5-0 win midweek that was a very very one-sided display away in Hungary yeah it was uh, I have to say I don't think Debrecen were particularly good but I don't want to detract from Rapid or take anything away from them. There were some really nice moments for them. Um, Matthias Seidel, who we mentioned in the Bundesliga section, opened the scoring. Um, I really liked Guido, uh, Guido Burgstaller's movement down by the byline for the second goal. Of course, when you're so close to the byline, I think the defender automatically assumes you're going to come slightly back up the pitch, but he just <laughs> sort of dinked it over the defender and stayed hugging the byline and forced the own goal there. Um, Marco Gru scoring as well. Um, Bugstaller himself getting on the score sheet and yeah Antti Bajic, um drawing another own goal you know right towards the end doesn't really get much better than that and you know I uh, I think of, of all of us on the other Bundesliga I might have been more critical of Rapid than anyone but two 5-0 wins in a row I mean it's a question can they keep it up but it's a great it's a great set of results yeah can't say fairer than that I mean I said on last week's pod that they've got to just start believing in themselves against opponents like Debrecen. A nil-nil draw at home, I'm sorry, it's not good enough. It really isn't good enough. And again, you know, these are European games. You get more money for, for just winning those games than you do for any win against Hartberg, any win against Blauweiss, or whatever. Those games are where the money 
is coming in. And like, had they gone out, had they slipped up, and who knows, you know, Dibregetsen could have been on a good run. They could have been a really tough team to play against at home and they could have nicked it. And then Rapid would have been, you know, really left in a in a very embarrassing position early on in the season, just as they were last year when they lost the game that they just could not afford to lose against Vaduz. Um, they've avoided it this, ta- this time, but they left themselves in the vulnerable position of the uh, of the draw, I suppose, with their sort of underwhelming league performances at the end of last season. And the draw has not been kind to them. They've got Fiorentina in the last round. Um, That's probably literally the hardest team they possibly could have drawn at this stage. It is actually ridiculous that the uh, runners-up from last season in the competition are still stuck in qualifying to make it to this season's sort of C-grade European competition. I I can't believe they're in there. Um, It's a brilliant tie for Rapid to look ahead to this Thursday. But it's not really the draw that you want, is it? When you really want to get into the group stage and you want to actually start making some money. Yeah, like you say, it is pretty much as tough as it could have been. A club that's been on a very good European run recently, I think their chances are pretty low. They will need to get a better result than they got in the home leg against Debrecen. I think they would need to to have any chance really to have at least a two-goal lead from the home leg and I can't really see that happening. I'm going to go along. I'm going to go along full of optimism and I'm 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 going to try and believe but yeah, I think they've probably got a 1 in 10 chance of going through this tie. I'm looking through now the Conference League qualification playoffs. And I've got to say I'm quite shocked actually at some of the names in here. So I was thinking, you know, there's the likes of Tobol Kostanai, FC Astana, Partizani, Struga. I know you talk about these teams a lot on the Sweeper Pod, Zagiris Vilnius, um, the likes of those teams. And you're thinking, yeah, look, Rapid could have drawn somebody like that, and they would be odds on to get into the group stage. But actually, there's a lot more quality in there than I thought. Partizan Belgrade, you've got Eintracht from the Bundesliga in Germany. Uh, Fiorentino, of course, as we know, uh, Micheland, who are a very solid side, Genk, who've got a lot of European experience in recent seasons, Brugge, who've basically been a Champions League, a good Champions League performer in the last couple of years as well. Until um, they got Scott Parker. Until they got Scott Parker, yeah, true. Fine, um, Scott Parker. <laughs> um, Lille, you know, there's some proper there's some proper teams in there. I'm like, what are all these teams doing? But I know we've talked about this in the past that this is what Conference League football does, isn't it? It doesn't it doesn't always give a chance to the smaller teams to do well. It simply just, there are so many big teams around Europe. It just opens up the European door to teams like that, like Fenerbahce are in there. You know, they must have done pretty badly by their standards to be in the Conference League qualifiers, but they can still overcome that then and they would immediately be one of the favourites to win the Conference League. So <laughs> it's mm. uh, it's more, yeah, it's half a backdoor for big teams who are underperforming to still do well in Europe and it's half an opportunity for smaller teams to to do well and I suppose which which one of those categories do you put Rapid Vienna in <laughs> I'm not sure I was going to say well I was speaking to uh, somebody at the uh, sport club game I went to see it was my first game of the season it's been a slow start to the season for me but I went to see sport club play on Friday and I was saying I don't know whether I should go to Linz to see Lask versus Shkrinski Mostar or I should see the the Rapid Fiorentina one and uh, um, I was Tom Tom Wolf she said to me uh you know, you've got to go see the one with two fallen giants. And uh, I, th- I think that's probably a good way to, to categorise. Well, I don't really know if you can call... Lask the... Vizioniski Mostar, two fallen giants? No, 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 no. <laughs> the other one. Definitely okay, the other I one. But the, uh, I don't know if you can call the Europa League finalists Fiorentina a fallen giant, given how close they came to glory last season, but I, I get the point. So that, that's the one I'm going to go along to. 
fair enough. No, that's a, a really exciting tie. That's going to be a great atmosphere. And I said in the last couple of weeks, I just hoped that they'd get past Tibblitz and, and at least, you know, if you're going to go out of Europe, make it a big night, make it a good occasion. And it will be a very special one. But do they have the quality to test Fiorentina? I'm not so sure. Some people who might know more on that front are the Italian football pods. Uh, they've given us a quick preview of Fiorentina and who we should watch out for on Thursday night when they come to town to face Rapid Vienna. Hey guys, this is Nima Tavalli-Ruzzari from the Italian Football Podcast. Um, um, I just wanted to give you a little bit of a scouting up uh, report, a quick brief one on Fiorentina. They started their Serie A season really, really well this weekend, beating Genoa 4-1 uh, after a fantastic uh, performance by Artur Melo, the debutant who's joined them on loan from Juventus, who's had two, three horrible seasons. He looked absolutely unplayable at, uh, for large parts of the game. And of course, one of the most underrated players in Europe, uh, not just uh, for uh, aerially, but overall as well. Nico Gonzalez, he scored an, uh, a brilliant header. Um, and overall, Fiorentina made uh, Genoa pay in a way that they weren't un- they weren't able to do last season for, for, for pretty much all of, all of last season. Um, they look balanced and in control. Yes, they're a very attacking side. They're a very high-intensity, high-press side. But last season, they were a bit frantic at times and didn't look like they were in control. They looked a little bit too stressed at times. This time around, although it's just one game, and it was, yes, against a newly promoted Genoa side, they were in complete control. And they systematically just ripped Genoa apart. So I think everyone who plays them right now needs to be a little bit worried, and especially defensively, you have to be switched on, or else I think you'll be hurt by uh, Vincenzo Italiano's side, who looks like he's actually getting it together. Because last season, defensively, there were huge question marks, and they looked hollow at times, Fiorentina. But in this game, although there were some small question marks, they looked much more balanced and in control. Again, small sample size, Genoa, newly promoted from Serie B, uh, but they looked much better than, to be honest, they did all of last season. Anyway, good luck, guys. Thank you very much for that quick Fiorentina preview. Really nice to hear from the Italian Football Podcast. You can find them on Twitter at ITA Footpod. ITA Footpod, of course, the Italian Football Podcast. Uh, they'll be crossing their fingers for Fiorentina to make it to the group stage. We will have our fingers crossed for Rapid. It is, of course, uh, a purple v green tie as well. And mm. they don't tend to bode too well for Rapid, do they? No, they've got a dismal record against teams in purple. We won't be crossing our fingers, though, Tom. As we say in German, we will be pressing our thumbs um, <laughs> yes. for, for Rapid to go through in that tie. Very true, very true. Um, I'm also pressing my thumbs for Lask. Uh, obviously, we just joked about that tie a second ago against Zagoniski Mostar. Mostar, a place that I really want to go to. And are they European debutants in terms of group stage football? Uh, they are the first club from Bosnia and Herzegovina. I initially said on Twitter, the first club from Bosnia on the Sweeper's Twitter account. I was uh, quickly corrected. They are not a Bosnian club, uh, apparently. Um, but uh, yeah, they're the first representative from Bosnia and Herzegovina. Uh, they are guaranteed conference league now, of course, but they'll be aiming to get that little bit of extra prize money against Lask on, uh, on Thursday. Does that mean they are from Herzegovina? Because I don't know my geography in Bosnia and Herzegovina, I'll be honest. I know where Mostar actually is, but I don't know about the division of Bosnia and Herzegovina. Yeah, they are part of the Federation of Bosnia and Herzegovina, I think, rather than the Republika Srpska, which is a very complicated division that I do not fully understand. If we have any Bosnian listeners, and I've butchered that explanation, I apologise wholeheartedly. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a beautiful place, Mostar. I think if uh, if we weren't so busy, we might have 
sort of headed down there because it's not that far from Vienna, is it really? Um, but yeah, I think I think really Lask should be expected to win this one. I, I would say they would be the, the favourites. Yeah, I'd love to go to Mostar as well. I've seen the away trip organised by Lask fans. 100 quid for the bus down there, 100 euro actually, which is a fair bit less than 100 quid uh, for the bus down there to Mostar. Oh, my sister's visiting this week. <laughs> I've got a family visit, which doesn't happen all that much. So there's no way I can get across to, to any of those games, unfortunately. But uh, yes, Mostar would have been quite high on the list. I share your optimism in a way, but does it change at all given Thomas Sagida's start at Lask to the new season? They, they are, I don't know which cliche to use, you know, are, are they flattering to deceive? Not really, because they haven't even picked up that many points yet. Um I, that makes me less mm-hmm. hopeful, I suppose, for this game. And I feel like Zuniski Mostar must be kind of coming in with lower expectations. I, I feel like Lascar, I, I'm glad that they've got the backup of Conference League group stages. Don't, don't get me wrong. I'm glad that they've got that because I'm not sure that they're going to get into the Europa League or whether they'd be good enough for a Europa League group stage right mm-hmm. now if you consider that Sturm are going to end up in the Europa League group stages. Yeah, they're all valid points. I think perhaps my... Uh... My assessment of Lask is based on European reputation of recent years rather than the team that started this season. Um, so Zrinski Moscow in the last round played Pekeda Blick of Iceland. So Iceland do have one of the weakest domestic leagues in Europe. They did win 6-3 on aggregates. So that's a pretty big win. Um, but I think that obviously the Bosnian league is a lot weaker than the Austrian league. When you look at the UEFA coefficient, I think it's in the 30s out of the, the 55 UEFA countries. Um, yeah, it remains to be seen. I could be totally wrong. Perhaps Mostar will go through relatively easily, but I, I would back, I think, just about back Lask. All right, fair enough. Um, Salzburg, before we talk about Sturm, Salzburg, we, we spoke at the beginning of this part about how much they've found this groove and they've clicked already at the start of this season. Um in the off-season and the end of the summer, when things didn't look so good, and then the sporting director left, the manager left, etc., etc., the new players uh, didn't seem to have the same pedigree necessarily. It was going to be down to the kind of youngsters, the real youngsters from the last couple of seasons to step up. Um, I was thinking, okay, I think they might be able to step up in the league and still do a really good job here. But isn't this going to make it really tough for them in Europe this season? I'm questioning myself now. Do I still hold that opinion after after four matches and, and them doing so well? What do you think? I think I would share that opinion with you. I think it's just such a leap from the Champions League. Yes, they've been really solid in their first four games, but it really depends on that draw, doesn't it? Like who you get in the group. I think the, the test for Salzburg, uh, the real test of their metal is for them to see if they can finish third. And then when they drop down to the, if they drop down to the Europa League, can they do better than they have in previous seasons? Because every time they've dropped down, they've consistently gone out in that first round, whether it's been, it's been Villarreal, Eintracht Frankfurt, there's been a few different clubs over the years. So I think that a good season for them would be really good in the Champions League if they could finish third and then perhaps progress on a little way in the Europa League. But Champions League, I'm not so sure. It's interesting how those ambitions in Europe have sort of evolved over the years for Salzburg. Because I remember when at first it was just get into the Champions League, just group stages. The dream is group stages. And then with Erling Haaland, Minamino, and Soboslai and stuff, they just flew into the Champions League and they were brilliant. And then it was like, okay, well, they're not going to come fourth. Like they can, they can do better than this. Like they can come, maybe come third and go to Europa League. That'd be brilliant. And then the ambition sort of evolved from there to, you know what? Salzburg can come second in one of these groups one of these days. They can actually do it. They can come second. I think they're really good enough. And then they did. They've achieved that. 
And then third was sort of seen as a bit disappointing maybe after that. But I think you're right. I think adjusting expectations sort of slightly downwards, which is in line. It mirrors the trend also for Austria, who were up as high as eighth in the European League rankings at one point, but are now in 10th and and certain to slip further back from there almost with with the rise of Turkey and some other nations. Um, Yeah, it is a trend a bit in Europe at the moment of, of adjusting expectations downwards. You were also right to mention, you know, Lask have been just punching above their weight massively in Europe in the last few seasons. We've got to adjust their expectations a little bit downwards now too. Um, But yes, I would definitely take Salzburg if they can finish third. I think this might be one of the seasons where fourth is a more realistic expectation. Again, we'll wait and see who they draw. Um, And the same, I suppose, is true for Sturm. We never really thought that they were going to get or should get into the Champions League, but they were given a pretty brutal lesson in reality by uh, PSV Eindhoven and PSV deserving winners, I think, in both games. We talked about the first leg last week. I was hoping that Sturm could at least finish off with a second leg win at home and, uh, you know, restore a bit of pride before they drop down into the Europa League. Not that they really need to restore pride, but you know what I mean. And they did put on a really good display, but that lasted about half an hour before the qualities of PSV shone through. And we're talking about Sturm having not conceded a goal in the Bundesliga yet, and yet in Champions League qualifying, they were they were blown apart by PSV in both legs. Yeah, I think it does go back to what our original expectations were, though. I think nobody really expects Sturm to get into the Champions League, and they are now automatically in the group stage uh, of the Europa League, which uh, I think is probably still maybe a step too high. I feel like you could have Sturm putting together a really solid run in the Conference League. Maybe they'll still end up dropping down into it. Um, I don't know how they'll how they'll fare in the Europa League. They don't drop down from the Champions League to the Europa League qualifiers, and that's to do with the league path and the champions path in terms of the uh, Champions League qualification. It's, it's a bit confusing and perhaps counterintuitive. You'd think the teams in the champions path would be handed that extra initiative of uh, not having to go then into the Europa League playoffs. But actually, that's the teams in the league path. So Sturm Graz, that is why, if you're wondering, uh, they lost to PSV in the Champions League third qualifying round, but they do not go into the Europa League qualifying playoff. Instead, they go straight into the group stages because they are a league path team. I'm very much looking forward to that draw. You just never know, do you, these days? As we were just saying about Rapid drawing Fiorentina, and then I was surprised at the quality of the teams in the other playoffs there for the Conference League. Um, that also reminds me that, you know, basically the Conference League and the and the Europa League, they're, they're almost interchangeable. It's, it's not like, I mean, yes, Champions League is a bit different, but I don't think in Europa League and Conference League, it's like, oh, you've got really good teams in the Europa League and then not good teams in the Conference League. It's basically just a mix of really good teams everywhere. Maybe they slipped up in the last couple of rounds of last season and fell down one league place and they're in the Conference League instead. There's basically big teams all over both competitions and it will be a big test for Sturm. Yeah, I think I agree with that. I think also the the existence of the Conference League has made the quality stronger in the Europa League. Like it's it's not it, it's it's now like I think it's somehow managed to get better teams in it. But both of them are good, and um, I think if I look if I assess overall how I think Austrian clubs are going to fare, this doesn't strike me as being a season I'm hugely optimistic about because I don't think Rapid will get past Fiorentina. I think, well, you know, Lask will will at least get some form of European football. Um, Salzburg, third, would be great. Fourth, as you said, might be more realistic. And then you look at Sturm. Hard to say, because they're obviously solid defensively in the league. 
can that can that sort of transition to the European stage work? Not really sure at the moment. Not brimming with positivity. No, battening down the hatches for a difficult European season. Three and three quarter million euros for Europa League qualification in the group stage. Sturm are going to get that. Lask might get it. So hopefully for them, they can beat Janiski Mostar and pick up that payday. Again, then you get into this whole uh, Geldregen, as they call it in uh, in German or in, in Austrian German, you know, the, the, the windfall. The windfall, yeah. Like, but I like the Geldregen as a as a sort of uh, a visual simile, you know, like money falling from the sky, like the rain of uh, the the gold rain. You know, I mean, yeah. I don't want to say golden shower. That's that's something <laughs> different. But um, you know, you know, will it be will it be a golden shower or will it be Geldregen for for Lask and uh, and Sturm in Europe? We're yet to find out, but we're hoping for plenty of money. And uh, I'll go away and decide whether to cut that last joke on the pod or not. <laughs> <laughs> we'll leave it there for this week. Thanks very much for joining us. Um, we'll be back next week with. Bundesliga match day five and uh, the results from the first legs of the next European ties that we just talked about. Goodbye for now. Mm-hmm.